Well, good morning. If you're new from the last couple of weeks, let me introduce myself. My name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the senior pastor here. I've been on vacation these last couple of weeks, got a chance to take our daughter to Disney World. Uh, she's at that stage where she wants to ride every fast, exciting ride. I'm at the stage where every fast and exciting ride makes me nauseous. So it was uh, a number of days of feeling nauseous, but it was just a wonderful time of being together as family. Uh, but I'm glad to be back. We've got two weeks uh, left in this series uh, of uh, thinking about serving. And so let me begin with a question for you. When you think back in your life, who, who was your favorite teacher? Who was your favorite teacher when you were growing up? Now, maybe someone's coming to mind, and my guess is that person coming to mind was not someone you got an easy A from. It was probably someone who challenged you. It was probably someone who had just uh, some interesting ways. Their methods went beyond lecture and beyond kind of the typical methods of average teachers. They were gifted at making a point. They had a, a way of connecting with you and helping you think deeper uh, think longer about important things. Uh, I remember growing up here, I came here as a 14-year-old teenager, and as I began to enter the youth group and learn about the stories of the Bible and, the, and God's big story, one of our, our uh, high school teachers here was a guy named Roger. Roger was just the, the most creative guy, and he had a way of, of helping me understand what this new faith was all about. He just did the most creative things all the time. And it's interesting to me because I I was thinking about this uh, of the kind of teacher he was, that it's been 33, 34 years uh, since that time. And I still can remember things that he did, taking a chainsaw to a watermelon, throwing these water balloons that he threw and, and, and things that would erupt, like all these things that he would do to somehow help us see a point about the kingdom and about the gospel. Uh, that made such a huge impact on my life. Jesus, as we, we walk through his teaching, we see he is an amazing teacher. In fact, many times the people stop and they kind of comment about themselves. It's very interesting when you're, when you're watching the people listen to him, a lot of times they'll end and they'll turn to each other. You, can, you almost can see it in your mind's eye. It's that, like, like they turn to each other and say, who teaches like this? Like he teaches not like the normal teachers. He teaches with authority. He teaches... And through the parables that he told, through the stories that he gave, through the, the, just the points that he would make, there was ways in which he, just, he, he could just penetrate people's lives with important themes to help them understand what the kingdom of God was all about. Now, one of the things that comes up again and again, and we've seen this in our series, is that this, this theme of service was incredibly important to Jesus. Now, if Jesus is our master teacher... And we are his disciples. The word disciple means learner. It means uh, someone who would take on the life of their leader or their master teacher. Uh, we, we say it this way, we, that we are developing into authentic followers, meaning uh, becoming real disciples of Jesus. So, so we want that for ourselves. It's very important. If this was an important theme for Jesus, then it has to be an important theme for us as well. And Jesus is someone that we see, the more he teaches about it, and the more he, he demonstrates this, we see that he's someone who deserves to be served. But again and again and again, he continues to show that he is here humbling himself and serving instead. 
One of the early uh, beliefs was that this, there's a passage in Philippians chapter 2 that, that, that maybe this was one of the first songs that was sung in the early church. And from Philippians 2, it's, uh, these are the words that says this. It describes Jesus this way. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then it says, well, here's what he's like. Who being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so in the passage today, we're going to see something. We're going to see something very powerful about humble service. And so here's our big idea today that I want us to see. And then we'll we'll explore the passage and this amazing way Jesus teaches this idea. But here's the big idea that there's no act of service that's beneath the disciple of Jesus. No act of service is beneath the disciple of Jesus. That for us, we're going to take on this life of our master teacher that we're going to have to see that there's, there, there's really nothing that we can't be ready to do to serve others. So Jesus is about to, as we're going to see in this passage, he's about to teach one final lesson. He has one last night with his disciples and he's a chance to teach them something, but rather than teach them with a, a story or an illustration or just kind of, kind of uh, uh, some kind of philosophical idea, Jesus is going to teach in one of the most powerful, creative ways that he can. He's going to demonstrate to them what his whole life and ministry has been about. So can I invite you to turn to John chapter 13? John chapter 13. It's page 1079 in the Bibles in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please be our guest. Uh, Take that one home with you when it's done. Keep reading about the life of Jesus with us. So just to set it up as you're turning there. Give me just only half your attention here. Uh, It's the last night of his life. And it's the last night he's going to have with his disciples. And so in this final meal that he's going to have together, as as the disciples don't realize this is a final meal. And so they're they're gathered together. They're celebrating the Passover meal together. And and you've got to imagine what it would have been like to be the disciples. So uh, on Sunday... Sunday they enter into Jerusalem and the song that we sung, that last song we sung, that word Hosanna, those were the, that was what people were, were cheering, that what they were chanting. They had taken palm branches down and laid them down on the ground. Jesus comes riding in on the colt of a donkey. It was, it was prophetic that the Messiah would come this way. And they're, they're chanting, they're, they're yelling, they're praising God, Hosanna, Hosanna the highest, meaning praise to the one who's, who's coming to save us. And they're, they're, they're praying, here comes the one. He's going he's gonna to take his rightful place as the king. And they're praising him. Now, if you are his disciples, you're caught up in this. You're caught up in this and you're thinking, man, Good to be part of this entourage. Like, if he's going to be in a position of power, what are we going to get? Like, and they're thinking about this. They're caught up in this whole thing. Now, on top of this, they're seeing things during this week that continue to just reinforce Jesus's his power and his authority. And so everything about this is, is going through, and they're celebrating this meal, and yet you know that this meal means something very important to Jesus. In fact, in, some, uh, in the book of John, notice this, chapter 13, and this book goes on till chapter 21, uh, for seven chapters, 
we will basically spend, John will spend seven chapters basically in about a 24-hour period, uh, a little bit more than 24-hour period. This night, so much happened in this night that John gives multiple chapters to focus in on what happened. And Jesus is going to teach one more powerful message. And so look at verse 1. It begins this way. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, let's stop there for a second because I, I want you to think about this. Think about the setting. So they're, they're celebrating this meal, and this meal would have been vivid with pictures, uh, symbolism of bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of their experience in slavery. The, the, the Passover meal reminded them of God's deliverance, his salvation, of, of rescuing them uh, uh, from Egypt, from slavery. Uh, uh, Vegetables that they would dip in salt water to remind them of the tears that were shed. All these different things, powerful symbols of everything. Reminding them how God had delivered them. And the pastor says this, that, it, that Jesus knows this, that all things have been placed under his power. Now, what would you do? Don't answer this out loud. What would you do if absolute power was given to you. I mean, isn't this a moment to exert power? Notice what Jesus did. He took off his outer garment, he put on the uniform of a servant, and he began to wash their feet. Now, just to help us contextually understand foot washing, foot washing was a menial job, but it had to be done. And it was very important in, in this situation because uh, in those days, you didn't sit at a table in chairs. You reclined on your elbow. And so you can imagine if you're laying, kind of reclining on pillows, your feet are shooting out this way next to your buddy who's sitting next to you. And so to have someone's uh, nappy feet next to your head, like, you want to make sure that they're, they're, they're uh, clean. It was gross, but it was necessary, and a good host provided it. I don't, I don't think I need to get into any kind of descriptions of how bad feet can get. Typically, a person would wash themselves if they were coming over, and, and just walking through the dusty roads, it would just require a foot washing just to make sure they were clean. But remember, Jesus told, we know about him and his disciples, hey, look, I don't even know where we're staying tonight. So we don't know when the last time these guys have bathed. We don't know how bad it, it has gotten. And foot washing was done by a servant, typically a Gentile, almost never done by a Jew. And everyone around the table knows that it needs to be done, but there's no servant there to do it, and no one wants to do it. And in the Gospel of Luke, we, we learn this, that there was an argument that broke out in the dinner. And some commentators wonder, was that argument over who was going to be the foot washer and, and who was going to have their feet washed. 
that there was kind of this, this, there was this ongoing battle back and forth with the disciples over who would have these great seats. They, they knew, they believed that there was going to come this day where Jesus was going to have this. I mean, he literally was going to have a throne. And they were debating over who was going to get the little thrones next to him. This act symbolized lowliness. A servant washing the master's feet. And so in this moment that Jesus is granted full authority, what does he do? He places himself in a position of service and he begins to wash their feet. Why? Here's the first thing I want us to see is this, is that a disciple of Jesus serves out of their identity and not for it. We find ourselves asking as they were, why would Jesus do this? Why would he humble himself? Why would he wrap a towel around his waist? Why would he stoop down to wash feet? Because Jesus understands his identity as a servant. He has great understanding of who he is, it says. He knows where he's going. He knows what awaits him. He knows all these things. He knows that the Father has placed all things under his power And despite the glory coming to him, he still knows that he is on this earth to serve his father. He knows that he is on this earth to serve you. He is on this earth to serve me. Jesus understood clearly his identity. And it was his identity, not status, that shaped how he served. His heart was to glorify his father. Now, this is an incredible moment, if you think about it. This is a moment... And that in this moment, it dramatizes the whole of his career. See, we could look at this and go, wow, this is kind of an isolated event. But think about it. From the very beginning, he has been washing our feet. When they placed that child in that manger, he was washing our feet. When he took on flesh, he was washing our feet. When he humbled himself and when he, he moved around as a servant, he was washing our feet. What he did in that night in that upper room vividly portrays this whole journey of his life from the Father into the world and then ultimately what would be back to the Father. And so here he is, the eternal Son of God, the King of all creation, stripping off his garments, bending down to his knees to wash the dirt off the feet of dirty men who should have been fighting over serving him. This act was nothing new, right? This this is who Jesus always was. This shouldn't actually surprise us, nor should it have surprised him. He is the king, but he is the servant king. So let me ask you this. Why do you serve? Why do you serve? Is it to get something out of it? Maybe recognition. Maybe it feels good and you like that good feeling. Maybe it's just to get someone off your back. We all sometimes serve without the best motives, right? None of us are, are immune to that. But if, if our motives are to, to serve, are to build our image, our resume, our profile, our appearance with others, then we're... We're, we're, we're actually all about self-service, aren't we? And not about serving others or serving God. Which of us does not struggle with that? 
you and I can look at a passage like this and realize we are not much different than the disciples. We too would argue over which of us would have to fight over who would have to wash each other's feet. There's not much difference in us. And, and we know it's even harder now. I, I think the great temptation of our culture, especially in, this, in a social media day, is we can do things and kind of, we can boost our appearance. We can boost our identity by showing what a great servant we are. And Jesus doesn't do anything like this. What if, what if, what if we began to serve not to build our profile, but because that is just simply who we are as disciples of the servant king. Moms, if your kid is threatened, if your kid was even in a life, like in a situation, a risky situation, a life-threatening situation, what would you do? Like you, you'd put yourself in front of your child. You would put yourself in a sacrificial place. You would, you would, you would gladly step in front to, in a place of service and sacrifice, right? Now, if someone turned to you and said, wow, what made you do that? Why did you do that? How, why did you put your child's needs above your own? You would kind of get this kind of weird cockeyed look on your face, right? And you'd go, because I'm a mom. That's what moms do. We, we protect our children. So what if, what if people began asking you, why do you serve people the way you do? Why do you, why do you sacrifice your time and your energy and your money? Why do you do these things? Why do you give yourself away to these people? Why do you show up on Wednesday night and sit with a bunch of fifth graders when you could be at home, do you know there's some really good shows on Wednesday night? Why do you give away, you give away how much, what percentage of your money to charity? Why would you do that? You know what kind of car you could buy with that? You know what kind of vacation you could go on with that? And what if our answer could simply be this? What if we had the same cockeyed look on our face? What do you mean? That's who I am. I'm a servant of the servant king. It's just, that's just who I am now. I can't help but do these things. Now, it's fascinating here. Jesus is not trying to pull off some kind of stunt. This is who he is. Now watch as the passage develops because you're going to see that more and more he's trying to help us understand this is what everything is all about. Here's the second point that I want you to write down. Is that a disciple of Jesus sees that the nature of the kingdom is service. The nature of the kingdom the service is all about, the kingdom is all about service. And so everyone's been bickering about what needs to be done and Jesus just gets up and does what needs to be done. But try to imagine yourself, do, if you can, could you close your eyes, could you try to imagine yourself reclining there? And you're, having, you're, you're engaged just as much as everyone else in the argument and you watch Jesus get up and you're kind of like with one eye watching him while you're still trying to defend yourself. And you notice what he does. He takes off his gown. He puts on this, this towel. He gets the basin of water and he walks over to the first person. He begins to wash their feet. And he's making his way around and he's almost at you. How do you feel about that? 
Feels a little awkward, right? Well, notice that's how Peter felt. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that, he, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. In the upper room, Peter still has in mind the things of man, not the things of God. Peter wants Jesus to fit into this kind of human idea of royalty and, and, and divinity. In his mind, you are the divine king. You shall never wash my feet. But Jesus is doing something. He's shattering that whole idea for him and for us. That what it means to be God exalted is to be a servant. And in his use of the towel, Jesus is revealing that that being God means coming down from the throne, giving himself to serve. Now, Peter, like us, probably would have been very comfortable washing Jesus' feet. This would have been normal. But to see Jesus, the divine king, stoop down and do this, he is struggling. Remember, think about this for Peter. Peter's had these amazing experiences with Jesus. He was, his calling came when he was in a boat with him. And there was a supernatural catch of fish. Peter, who's a professional fisherman, knows this is not natural. This is supernatural, which means the person standing in front of me is supernatural. And he falls to his knees and he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Not, not long before this moment it came a moment where they were together. And after three years of ministry, Jesus asked this question, who do the people say that I am? And they gave all kinds of answers. And Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the promised one. You're the one that everyone's been waiting for. You're the king who's supposed to make all things right. He knew these things about him. He knew, he saw, you command the wind, the waves, the fish of the sea if you want. And you are bending your knee before me instead of the other way around. And Jesus is teaching Peter that such a posture, that this spirit is normal for the true and living God. Which means it has to become normal for us. Remember what he had said to his disciples as they were coming towards Jerusalem. This has been kind of our theme verse. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In that one line, Jesus shows what the world turned right side up looks like. In this line, it was a powerful line because it it, it spoke of a prophecy. The prophet Daniel spoke of when the Son of Man comes. And the nations and, and, and all of creation will, will kind of bow down and serve him. And, and that was part, Jesus revealing, that's part of the truth. But the other half to this is that this king will come and he will serve us as well. And what we begin to see is that he is going to serve us in a way that we really will never be able to outserve him. 
Daryl Johnson writes this, Jesus was helping Peter understand that we can only meet the living God at the bottom rung of the ladder, for he is nowhere else. Jesus was revealing the king's own idea about what it means to be king, for this king finds his royal dignity in being a foot washer. There's, there's moments when you think about God and his greatness and you go, there's no one like you. And you understand why that line is used so many times in the Psalms. Lord, who is like you? There's no one like you. High, lifted up, majestic, eternal, omnipotent. And then there's moments like this where he's bowed down with a towel wrapped around him and a dirty disciple's foot in his hand. And you, you bow in your heart and you say, Lord, there is no one like you. There's no one like you. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. So let me ask, is your life with Jesus marked by service? Here's the test. When we, when we come together on a Sunday morning or Wednesday or Bible study, whatever, when we come together to worship or to be together in community in some way, do you see yourself as a host or a guest? Think about the difference. If you were to invite me into your home as your guest, would it be fair for me to have certain expectations? Number one, you'd be there. You'd be on time. You would be mindful of my needs. You would try to be hospitable and make that experience a blessing. Like that that stuff makes sense. Now, if you're new to Beach Point, you are our guest. And I pray that you will find all those things true about being with us. But if Beach Point is your church, if this is your family of faith, what is your mindset when we come together to serve or to be served? You'll hear this phrase in churches all the time I'm just not getting fed. I'm not getting my needs met. Now, while there's a layer of truth that's, that can be very important, and, we have to, and you have to probe what that, why that is, it does reveal, at least in part, a consumer mentality, doesn't it? In 2008, this church went through a transition of pastoral leadership, and a lot of folks left. They left to get their needs met. But the ones who stayed, you who stayed... You saved this church. You saved this church. Because you were here not to be served, but to serve and to give yourself away. Today is a different day. Beach Point's growing. It's thriving in a lot of ways. Uh, We are far, far, far from all that God dreams us to be. And I used to, th- I think about this. We, there was a chorus we would sing. We would sing this chorus back then. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. And there was a sense of vision that God was going to do something great in us. 
if we made ourselves available to him. And I still believe that with all my heart that greater things are still to come in us and through us. But they will not come. They will not come if only a small minority of people see themselves as servants, as see themselves as hosts, and the majority see themselves as guests and consumers. And so let me ask you, have you found a meaningful role here? Do you have a place, a way to serve? And, and if that, that, that's not an easy thing to answer, and that's why the table's out there to help you, you can go to beachpoint.com serve, and you can go online. There's a short survey. We will help you figure that out. But there has to be, if the nature of the kingdom is service, then there has to be that our, our life with him and our time together has to be marked by service. Here's why. Notice the last challenge that Jesus gives in his final words of this. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here's our response today, and listen to Jesus' words. A disciple of Jesus is blessed when they bless others. When they bless others. If we're going to respond to what we're seeing today, we have to see that Jesus is calling us to serve and to bless others. Notice again how he puts it. He says, if I, your Lord, wash your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Now, don't miss this. This is where, the, this is where you get your money's worth. Notice what he like. The, the, it seems like the reciprocal response should be, now I have washed your feet, you now wash mine. I've done this for you, the debt you owe me, wash my feet. Seems right, seems fair. That's not what he says, is it? He says, look, if you, I've now done this for you. If you want to, in essence, pay me back, serve each other, love each other, do this for each other. Wash one another's feet. And Leslie Newbegin says this, he says, Jesus has laid aside his life for us and the debt which we owe him is to be discharged by our subjection to our neighbors in loving service. Our neighbor is the appointed agent authorized to receive what we owe the master. So I owe Jesus for all that he's done for me. I can never pay it back. But if I'm going to try in some ways in thankfulness and love to reciprocate what he's done for me, then my neighbor is the one authorized to receive what I owe him. Now, here's a fascinating way to think about it. When the Apostle Paul was writing to a church, he said this to the Ephesian church. He, he encouraged them, be filled by God's Spirit. And then he said this, if you're, those who are filled by God's Spirit, he says in, in chapter 5, verse 21, submit 
to one another out of reverence for Christ. They, they willingly place their, themselves under each other. They willingly put the needs of the other over their own. So spirit-filled people submit to each other and to the needs of each other. And then he does this fascinating thing. He talks about marriage and parenting and uh, slave master, but we might call it like, kind of like a work relationship. It might seem in more our culture. But think about what he's saying in some sense. If we, if we put these, these ideas together, that we honor this debt we owe Jesus by submitting ourselves to others, by willingly placing ourselves under the needs of others. So my wife is the one authorized to receive what I owe Jesus Christ, the King. I wash Jesus' feet when I wash her feet. My children are the ones authorized to receive what I owe the King. And I wash Jesus' feet when I wash their feet. My team here at Beach Point are those authorized to receive what I owe the King. I wash the feet of Jesus when I wash their feet. Those of us who are older, maybe even those of us who have kind of years of being here, our young people are the ones authorized to receive what we owe the King And we wash the feet of Jesus when we put their needs over our own. Young people, you're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. And so you begin to wash the feet of Jesus when you don't wait till someday, but now begin to wash the feet of others And maybe even there's an Amy and Eric or a Taylor and Heidi. Maybe even as you heard Ron share, maybe even today, there are those in here who realize that the way that you pay Jesus is to wash the feet of the unengaged, the unreached people groups of this world. And the way that you will wash Jesus' feet is by washing the feet of those unreached people in the world. And did you notice... P.S. One last person who's sitting at the table, probably, if you read all the accounts together, the, the probable explanation of who was reclining next to Jesus on one of his sides, do you know who that was? He's mentioned multiple times in this passage. It was Judas. And John, John tells this story with great detail to make sure you know that Possibly the first person who had his feet washed was the one who would betray him, the one who would turn on him, the one who would deny him. And those of us who want to repay Jesus do so. We wash his feet, the feet of the king, when we wash the feet of those who would seek to defeat us and betray us and deny us and who would think and act differently than us. And so as the band comes uh, to finish out these last couple songs, it's going to be kind of a prayerful 
chance for us to think of response. Last week, we had this amazing idea to think about that when we serve the least of these, we serve Jesus. And so we, we began to think, let's serve Jesus by serving others. Let's wash the feet of Jesus then by washing the feet of others this week. Jesus' life, the self-emptying love, calls us to be a people, a community of foot washers. And there's nothing, there's no act beneath the disciple of Jesus. So I want to give you a very, very tangible question to, to, to really try to pursue this week. And so take a moment to pray these, this prayer. Jesus, is there someone who needs their feet washed this week? Is there someone to serve? Is there someone whose needs need to be placed above your own? Let's take a moment, let's bow, let's just ask, let's ask God's spirit. Lord, if you want to reveal something, I want to have the heart of a servant. I want to serve you in this way. There's nothing you can ask that I would say that's beneath me. So let's take a moment to pray and in a moment we'll close with the final songs.